You're listening to Were You Still Talking? Hey, welcome back. This is Joel Albrecht again, and on the show today is uh, my first semi-famous guest that I'm going to attempt to do the intro without a cheat sheet. Oh, boy. I have Frank King on the show today. He's been a comic for 157 years. He also does TEDx Talks. He is, one of the coolest things he does is he's a suicide prevention specialist. And he helps people in a lot of different ways that we're going to get into with suicide prevention. He has been doing comedy um, on the road uh, since he was a younger man. He is he is uh, written comic, comedy for other people. He's open for um, and almost everyone in in comedy and every big name you could think of. Right. I could list them, but we'll get into it later because I am going to ask him about that. So, <laughs> Frank, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you. And I am actually world famous. You may not be aware of this. Uh, if you go to your Google machine and type in Frank King, coronavirus quarantine comedian, you will find an amazing array of press on my trip back from Cambodia in the middle of February, where everybody thought I was dragging the coronavirus. Oh, no. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm that <laughs> I would... guy. I am... Oh. Yeah. Oh, so man, you're world I, famous. So it's it was actually you and your pet minks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I came back from Cambodia. Our cruise ship never had any coronavirus. None mm-hmm. of the 2,500 passengers of crew because we didn't allow anybody from mainland China on when we left from Singapore. The Diamond Princess, who left the same day, allowed people on from mainland China. They were quarantined forever. But um, somebody tipped off the media that I was coming back from that ground zero in the pandemic. And I made the mistake of speaking to the media. Oops. And I, I, I thought it was I did it as a kind of a joke that I, you know, I, I, I snuck out of the hotel and onto a plane and flew home. And they would print or say comedian jumps quarantine. So everybody thought. I had sneaked out of Cambodia and sneaked back into the U.S. I wish I had that skill set. And I mean, we got into Lane County and we had to change our home phone number. I had to deactivate three social media accounts. I had to handle the death threats. Uh, a guy called me, he goes, you came back to Lane County to kill everybody. I said, no, I have a list and you just made the VIP section. Yikes. So I am. Yeah, I wow. made the London Daily News, London Independent, the New York Post front page, Entertainment Night, Inside Edition, Lester Holt. I mean, for about two weeks, I was an international pariah. And I'm then, shocked that I didn't see you on any of those. Oh, man. And then uh, I guess about four weeks. And then four weeks, March 12th is when we began to shut down. And that's mm-hmm. when I got pushed off first page Google. The pandemic. Somebody goes, how'd you get pushed off first page Google pandemic? Wow. Anyway, I'm that guy. Wow. That's what I did. I knew I was speaking to someone famous, but not (laughs) not COVID famous. What? Infamous. Thank you. (laughs) I'm I'm pitching a TEDx talk called uh, Going Viral, How the Coronavirus and the Cancel Culture Killed My Comedy Career. Because... I'm done. I, I, I'll never sail on another cruise boat. Uh, and I did that for 10 years. I was a cruise comic for 10 years. And, you know, it's, it wasn't terrific work, but I, I, 
I've been on all seven continents. I got to see the world on their dime. It's, you know, it's not bad work. I mean, it's luxury cruise line. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, that's so, yes, I am right in this, in a certain sense, I am famous. So when, when I hear stories like that, and that's not the first one I've heard, um, personal stories with people who have run-ins with national media, it's just hard to believe that anyone could think that the news is fake. <laughs> yeah. <They> can- <laughs> Yeah, what I learned, and here's the phrase you need to watch out for. Don't you want to get, don't you want to tell your side of the story? Yes, I do, but uh, I want to do it live. Otherwise, I have no control over, yeah, because I mean, that's their, their goals right. are different than my goals. I wanted to get the truth out about what I'd done, and they want eyeballs and clicks. So, you know. Which is really, yeah, that's what's really hurt news is that's, that's what it's about now eyeballs and clicks. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's no longer about facts and, uh, I'm, and I, I even know that reporters try and make it about that, but it's very difficult for them to do their job. You know, it's very tough. Well, uh, and you know, and, every, you know, every every culture has a cancel culture, and some people deserve it. Louis C.K., uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein, but there are those of us who get caught up in 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 a supposed moral outrage where we didn't do anything wrong, but but, but because the trolls come after you to up their status in the world. And then the media uses that traffic, you know, to because they get clicks and eyeballs by reporting it in such a way that the trolls glom onto it and it feeds itself. And so, yeah, so it's just, <laughs> oh man, my poor it's wife. Un- yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, there are, this whole cancel culture thing is a tough, it's a tough one um, because real, it's, um, it's mostly happening outside big news um yeah in most cases it's really happening on smaller markets that have no regulation whatsoever so some people are stepping in and self-regulating things whereas in a larger market they never would have been canceled because they never would have been on there in the first place i mean these are you know a lot of these things getting canceled never would have been on major media at all they wouldn't have existed um however i do understand it's it's a a tough one that's a that's a, yeah a, a I mean, tough are, uh tough thing to figure situations out where it makes sense and the person deserves to be canceled yeah but there are many situations where it doesn't i mean it, you know i've heard professors being being accused of things being accused of racism because they they started spouting facts about something and some of those facts people didn't like so they said well that, that's racist mm, a, a friend maybe not job at a media company and he was market manager in a large city for a cluster of radio stations Mm -hmm. and he was speaking to the sales staff and he said listen if you guys do everything i ask you to do we'll all be in high cotton which is an expression meaning things are going to go well it's like you know eating high on the hog well because he said high cotton because because slaves pick cotton he lost his job oh man yeah man it's somebody got offended I can't even text friends anymore with this. I, I texted about a quote from Predator that now I have to watch Predator to see if I got the quote right. And it was about, uh, it, w- it was um, when Jesse Ventura says he's dug in like a tick on a Louisiana coon hound. Oh, no. And my friend said, don't say, oh, don't, you know, don't say, in a text. 
Don't say yeah. coonhound. And I coonhound is actually a breed recognized by yeah, and it's you know the the national raccoon. It's raccoon, but it's yeah. Well, since I was a kid, it's it was oh, and actually no, the breed. I looked it up. The breed is still coonhound. Yeah, like that's yeah. the official breed. Yeah, it and is. it's raccoon. But the slang maybe did come from another another way they use those dogs. Well, you know, decades possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South, um, we have these things called chiggers. They if you sit in the grass, they bite. You can't see them, but they leave a sizable welt if they bite. You know, big round like a silver dollar size mm-hmm. spot. They're nasty. Yeah. So my mother, my mother said, I said, um, I think I got chiggers, and she goes, No, son, it's chigros. So she was, <laughs> she was way ahead of her time. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Don't say chiggers. Say chiggers. That's interesting. Wow. That's my mom. Oh my gosh. She had a very uh, Dixie Carter designing women wit like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow. This is great. We've been talking for 10 minutes and I haven't gotten to one question. Yeah. It's Uh, like Seinfeld, a show about nothing. Show about nothing. That's actually, yeah, it kind of is. You know it. Uh, there's a couple of things that amaze me about your resume. One, well, there's everything about it, actually. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> one was you've been doing comedy for a long oh, time. Oh, God. And yep. you have stuck with it. And I know that is not an easy thing to do. I know this from watching other podcasts. <laughs> yeah. But uh, still, to, I don't think people realize how much work goes into comedy, uh, even though there's a lot more kind of talk about it these days. But... Comedy's more, it seems to me anyway, it's more about writing than just getting up there, writing and working out what's going to work. Um, so how, I mean, how have you stuck with it for so long? And uh, well, what's that been like? It, I was born to it. I told my first joke in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids laughed, the teacher laughed harder. And so I thought, I'm going to be a comedian. Then 12th grade, they had a talent show. And nobody had ever done stand-up. It's 1975. And I did a talent show and I won. I uh, told my mama, I'm going to be a comedian. She goes, well, son, you're going to college first. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't care what you do after college. You can be a goat herder for all I care, but you're going to be a goat herder with a college degree. So I, I, I did go to college at UNC Chapel Hill and graduated and then moved to San Diego with my high school and college girlfriend. And just by chance, San Diego and La Jolla has a branch of the comedy store, the world famous comedy store on Sunset. You know, they're doing a documentary right now on Netflix, I think. I think it's that maybe Showtime. Anyway, um, and I went to open mic night twice just to watch, see what the competition was like. Mm-hmm. And it was horrible. Um, I, t- I tell young people who are people who want to be comics, look, go twice, see how bad 85% of the people are. You'll get the courage to go up. Third time I went up, and in, in, in my five minutes of material inside my head, uh, I heard, you're home. You're going to do this for a living. You have no idea how. And I've, I've threatened to write a keynote called, what could you do if you didn't know no better? Because if I'd known how hard it was to make a living doing stand-up, I might never have started. And, you know, it's not the writing. It's not the performing. It's not even the traveling. People ask, well, tell me about your job. Well, I'm a salesman, basically, who talks. 85% of my time is spent marketing, selling, 
booking, 5% traveling, 5% writing, 5% performing. But 85% of it, I'm just a glorified salesperson. And that's why of the 30, 35 people I started with at Open Mic Night back in the day, there are three of us making a living at it 34 years later. Because it, it's, a, it's a combination of of entertainer and salesperson. And not everybody has those two things existing in the same body. Oh, brain. Right. right. And unless you get lucky and like Jeff Foxworthy got a manager early on. And so he did very well. Steve Harvey got a manager early on. So they, they had a leg up from, cause we all started about the same time. They, yeah, if you have a third party representation, somebody can brag about you. I'll tell you Sinbad who apparently just had a stroke, uh, but, but survived uh, Sinbad took it one step further and became his own manager and he would disguise his voice. <laughs> he oh, that's great. Yeah. I think he played an old <laughs> Jewish guy on the phone. Uh, booking Seinfeld. Love it. Booking book Sinbad. Yes. He's a good boy. Um, yeah. So that the real hard part about comedy and speaking professionally is actually getting, you know, getting the job. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've been able to make people laugh you know, forever. And it's, it's, it's part of my mental illness, actually, I believe uh, my major depressive disorder and chronic suicidal ideation are just the flip side of my imagination and my creativity and comic ability, because I can teach you to write stand up. I can teach you to perform stand up. I cannot teach you to process information the way my brain does. I, I'll give you an example. I'm on a plane, a Delta flight. We're flying, uh, connecting in Atlanta, going someplace else. Flight attendants, very Southern. It's the day after the FAA said, look, if you got an iPhone or an iPad, you can use that on takeoff or landing as long as it's in the airplane mode. Fine. The problem for the flight attendant is that's not written down anywhere. You know, the rest of the pre-flight safety thing they could do in their sleep. So she's going through it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, seat cushions, floor path lighting, oxygen mask. She gets, gets <laughs> to where she's got to tell us about this new rule and freezes. And you can almost hear her thinking. She goes, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, hmm. then she gets inspired. Ladies and gentlemen, due to new FAA regulation, if you have small equipment, you can continue playing with it. <laughs> yeah, my reaction, exactly. <laughs> I've been over double laughing. Nobody else on the plane. My seatmate thinks Nobody's I've lost kidding. my mind. He goes, what? I go, let's review. Before I can review, she comes back on. She goes, if you have large equipment, you're going to have to put that under the seat in front of you. So I'm down <laughs> on my knees. Um, so that's what I cannot teach you. That's what I believe. So I'm hardwired for, you know, depression, suicide, comedy. And suicide, by the way, is the secret of my success. I did a whole TED talk called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. Because the woman I moved to California with, my high school sweetheart, wonderful woman, we didn't belong together. We did nothing in common. But you know what they say, opposites attract. She was pregnant, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but the... Uh, we just didn't belong together. And I was selling insurance because that's what she wanted me to do. That was her idea. Mm -hmm. And I hated it. I, I, and I, I, I was not doing open mic because she hated that. And so it occurred to me because of my chronic suicidal ideation that I'm going to kill myself if I don't change something. And then my second thought was, wait a minute, I could divorce my wife, quit my job, try comedy. If it works great, if it doesn't hell, I can still kill myself. <laughs> so that's how I got into comedy. That's why suicide is a secret of my success is is because so i had that, nothing nothing to lose and that option was always kind of on your mind still still it still is that's yeah, still you know, i could talk 
I could run uh, from the fire or I could just kill myself. Well, and funny if you mention that because I was downtown, uh, down at Riverbend, actually, get see my cardiologist. I'm in the waiting room. And you know, we had the wildfires. Uh, 7th of September, I guess it started up river. And then the 8th, it started coming down river. And so that morning, we got a you know level one, which is get ready. Level mm-hmm. two, of course, is get set. Level three is go. Don't look back. Don't take anything. So I'm at the cardiologist, and we're at level one. So I think I got time to get my checkup, and I'll just drive back out the river. So I look at my phone, and it says um, Deerhorn, where the neighborhood where we live, between Leeburg and Walterville, level three. I'm like, what the hell happened to level two? So I told the cardiologist's office, I go, look, I, I'd love to stay for the appointment, but I've got 11 cats, rescue cats, in that house out the river. And now it's level three. The fire is actually a mile and a quarter away at this point. So I'm the only one driving east on 126 coming out. And I came in the neighborhood right behind the police car that had its lights going and they're through their bullhorn. They're going, get out. Don't look back. Don't take anything. Get out. I'm coming in. Oh, I go in, man. I bring the garage door down so they can't see me. Mm-hmm. And I'm herding cats. I'm loading cats into carriers. And I made a video on the way out that said, look, here's the deal. In case we don't make it because of the wildfire, I just wanted to record this for my, you know, I tell my wife, I love her, my sister, you know, the best little sister in the world, her husband. Okay. He, he'll do. Um, <laughs> and I said, you know, the what allowed me to come back into the neighborhood is that I have this thing called chronic suicidal ideation. So, you know, <laughs> people go, you drive back into the fire, that's suicide. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to do that for 40 years. Uh, a Tell friend of mine was- said, you know, you got, you could, you could burn up. I go, no, I'm not dying by fire. That's no way to go. I've got a gun at the house. If the fire got that close, licking my toes, Trust me, I'm eating the gun. I'm not going out in a fight. So because I'm willing to end my life at any moment, it allowed me to drive back in the neighborhood. Because, I mean, if you're going to die in a fire, I mean, shouldn't you do it doing something really grand? Like, he died saving the kitties. You know? Well, yeah. I, my wife would certainly agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't so, know. I was thinking how I would save two cats if I was, you know, minutes away from leaving the house. And you have yeah. 11. Did you grab a computer? Ooh. No. Did you grab? No, I grabbed 11 cats. Well, and my wife, who's at work at this point, is when we go to level three, and she knows I'm in Riverbend, at Riverbend, she figures the cats are done. There's no way. I mean, you know, there's no way. I mean, there's no way they're going to be, they're going to burn up when the house goes because it was only a mile and a quarter away. She has no idea that crazy man <laughs> jumped in the car and drove out to, you know, out into a wildfire to rescue the cats. Uh, so, but, well, so thank a, God. A little stressful because the, a little, you know, the, yeah. the attorney for this, the, where they're thinking about suing Lane Electric or Lane Power, whatever it is, for not cutting off the grid quickly enough. Um, he said, Was it stressful? Did you have any, you know, like, <laughs> well, here's the deal. I, I have, depression and suicidal ideation on a good day <laughs> so <laughs> that's, can you imagine and i drove out into a wildfire to rescue 11 cats i'm figuring i'm done i'm gonna die i'm toast literally toast and uh and i, and I said i've got a video of me coming out of the neighborhood he goes you got a video no uh- <laughs> i go yeah i got a video of me talking about driving into a wildfire to rescue the cats and driving out thinking i'm gonna die oh man make sure i get a copy of that he liked that. Oh, he liked yeah, man. That. He's oh, got a video yeah. talking about, you know, I'm driving to the Wabar. Anyway, 
So yeah, the, the hardest part of comedy really is the sales and marketing. I mean, because it's you're working on commission, you eat what you kill, and if you don't book it, you don't. And and, and it's a little worse now because nobody's having live events. I've been able to do a um, couple of virtual. I've got another virtual keynote tomorrow. That'd be my second one for November. So I've been averaging about two a month. Uh, and then the TEDx, you can see on my shoulder, I do the TEDx coaching, which has been a godsend because mm-hmm. I can do it in my slippers in my living room. I just got my, mm-hmm. when, while we were sitting there, I got an email from um, my 10th, I'll have 10 coaching clients, all who, and one of my clients actually um, got her first first application. She sent, she sent a half a dozen applications, but the first one, she got it. Wow. Yep. Wow, because I had a guest um, a few months ago who had sent, I think, 10 of them and hadn't heard an answer something like that and so yeah. i was i was amazed yeah i've got a friend uh amy who lives in georgia um she sent 80 applications wow she hired a company wow. we met on linkedin uh she goes frank i wish i'd met you two weeks ago i just paid somebody she said forty eight hundred dollars to get a tedx forty eight hundred dollars now I wh- said, uh, can i can i ask you something though about that yeah why? <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, why would you pay forty hundred dollars to get a speech that doesn't pay anything? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's my that's my question. <laughs> well, um, first, uh, first, I realized first thing Amy had done for me at that moment was tell me what the price point is. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. So I charge thirty nine ninety seven because it's a much prettier number than forty eight hundred. Um, and it's a bargain. It is, <laughs> and I let them pay for it. I get like three ninety seven down, three hundred a month for a year, and I do a deal. I call my till death do us part deal. We work on this TEDx an hour a week and change until you get one or we both die trying. And if you have adult children who want to do it, leave me to them in your will like Packers tickets and I'll, <laughs> I'll help them get the oh, that's TEDx. Great. That's great. So um, yeah, for, for the reason Amy paid that much money and 10 people are paying me that much money is if you're a speaker, author, coach, Toastmaster who wants a speaking career, it's having those big red letters behind you for a demo has a certain cachet. It's not going to get you the job, but it, it may help get you the job because it's, it's, it's as if somebody has, what's the word, um, where they, they ver they not verify you. They, um, you've been vetted. Oh, right. Almost as right. if you've been vetted. And, you know, right. and, and when you open up one of my Gmail, there are four of them across the bottom, four little, you know, the videos across the bottom. People go, dear God, for this, I have a fifth one, actually. Mm-hmm. My favorite, um, which is called Mental Health and the Orgasm Treat Your Depression Single Handedly. Nice. Only one I've ever gotten standing ovation for. <laughs> and the only one that TED.com refused to post. So it never saw the light of day. It's really sad because I can't. Oh, that is sad. Oh, well, I'm, I'm pitching the idea again in hopes that whoever curates it when it goes to the Big Ted again won't be the same person and they'll find the humor in it. Uh-huh. So then w- th- does that mean it's it? you can't post it? It's their no. stuff? You can't? No, uh, my, mis- my mistake was not setting up my iPhone and recording a bootleg version. Mm-hmm. Because I would have put it up. They refused. Because I said to them, look, edit it any way you like. I don't care. Take out whatever you find offensive. It's fine. I don't. Nope. So they didn't like the word orgasm or they didn't like the word mental health or they didn't like. Well, which, it, which which got to them? 
Well, there was quite the, you know, I mean, I come out and I say, um, you're probably wondering why I don't have any PowerPoint. Well, the curation team asked me the same question. I go, it's, it's a pod, it's, um, Ted talk on orgasm and masturbation. I mean, where am I going to get those slides? Pornhub? And I turn to the screen as if I have a clicker and I go, click, money shot, click, pearl necklace. Two guys laugh. I go, oh, ZZ Top fans. Great. Uh, the rest of them are just staring at me just, oh, no. on money shot and pearl necklace. Uh -huh. uh, and so it, it went from there. I mean, and you know, it was just one sort of double entendre you know, after uh -huh. <laughs> the other, I mean, I stop in the middle and my wife said, do not do that joke. I said, I'm going to do it. It's going to kill. She goes, I, I don't think you should do it. I go, watch what happens. So I stop in the middle. I go, Hey guys, do you know why they call an orgasm an orgasm? And they're looking at me and I go, because nobody can spell <laughs> <laughs> and they kill. And, it <laughs> and I said to the audience, Oh, thank God you like that. My wife told me not to do it. I'm so happy you like that. <laughs> <laughs> but the and then I talk about s masturbation, orgasm, and religion. Um, the Buddhists, unless you're a Buddhist monk or a nun, they don't care. I mean, which explains why every statue you see of Buddha, his hands are in his lap and he's got a smile on his face. And I go, and you're not going to be able to watch walk past a, a statue of Buddha again without looking. And I said, the Catholic <laughs> Church, you know, they're four square against anything involving sex that doesn't end up in procreation. You know? Right. You're not supposed to enjoy it, right? Yeah. And That's so last... any, anything that is an inappropriate sex act, and I go, if anybody knows anything about inappropriate sex act, it's the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts. That may have been the one that got me. Oh, maybe that. Because oh, I was expecting gosh. a ooh from the audience, and they burst into laughter. Uh-huh. <laughs> but maybe it was a Catholic on the TEDx committee. It may have been a Catholic yeah. on the TED. Yeah. yeah, like I'm making that shit up. Some of up. them don't. Some of them don't uh, have a good sense of humor. I don't understand. Well, and you should go on Tart. Tart. <laughs> I just I did a podcast with um, a podcaster uh, from this YouTube channel called Tart, which is the atheist. Um, oh. I know I can't remember the, but they they basically have different people on their show to talk about their religion uh, versus atheism and, and why their religion is real and this religion oh. isn't. And, and they're very nice about it. They're like really good at it. They're young guys and they're, they're really nice about it. Yeah, I did you one probably yesterday, have fun. Uh, a Christian podcast, um, a, a, an African-American gentleman. And I said, look, um, I got to tell you, I mean, I think it'd be a good podcast episode, but I'm white and I'm an atheist. He goes, you're on. So <laughs> we did a discussion back and forth, you know, uh -huh. about the Bible and, you know, why I'm an atheist and mm -hmm. so forth and so on. And it was, it was a good conversation. It was, uh, you know, I mean, I said, look, I got, I, you know, sky wizards. I really, I just can't wrap my mind around, you know, uh, I said, and besides that, you know, have you ever read the Bible? You know, thou shall have no other gods before me. He's like a, an insecure girlfriend. I mean, if I was all powerful, I wouldn't care what the little tiny humans are doing. You know, you can worship whatever you like. Uh, because I'm all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. I mean, why would I care what you, you know? Uh, I got bigger things to worry about. Anyway, um, so yeah, so the fifth TED Talk didn't make it, but I'm pitching it again. Hopefully somebody else will like the idea, and um, and and I, I'd, I'd like to nail down my... But the, the speakers, coaches, um, authors, if you, or if somebody has a, a, a charitable cause, you know, a... a um, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, a cause, I guess, a charity, mm -hmm. a foundation. It's a good way to attract donors and volunteers. 
mean, you can't pitch right. for, for them from the stage, but you can talk about what you're doing. Okay. And, yeah. In hopes that somebody would see it and, and sign on as a volunteer or, you know, donate money. So it's, it can lead to, you know, it, but it is a speech. A, you have to pay your own way there, put yourself up. B, they don't pay anything. So it is odd that somebody willing to spend four or $5,000 to, uh, you know, to do that. But it's, it has some cachet. And then again, thank God it does. Yeah, I, um, th that explains it much better. And anyone who's trying to promote anything, uh, if I could figure out uh, a subject, I would probably want to do one because <laughs> yeah, right. it, it would be great to promote a podcast. But yeah, well, I would have to come up with something. And, you know, it that's I mean, the fact that you're you're a really good salesman, obviously, because you've gotten your work for um, for years, years, uh, what I say, 187 years. Yeah. Being a comedian and uh as a, you know, I started a podcast sort of on a whim. Okay. Totally on a whim. And yeah. now I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really like, I like getting my guests kind of out there in front of people. So now I have to start promoting it. And that is a whole, whole, oh, whole oh, different yeah. thing. That's, that's, that's something I've always kind of struggled with, but that's, that's kind of the, the step I'm at now. And have you yeah. ever had anyone helping you? Have you ever had management or have you always just been the, just done it on your own? Well, I, I had a cruise. I, I still have, she, she loves me. I still have a mm -hmm. cruise agent. Um, okay. I have a college agent cause it's a whole separate market. Uh, I speak on suicide prevention as a college health and safety issue. Uh, on the cruise ships, I just did comedy. And then you don't want to talk about suicide on a ship when people can jump. And they're um, drinking a lot. <laughs> they're drinking a lot. Yeah. And we returned that ship. I was almost turned away from five different ports. Oh man. Yeah. It was, it was like the voyage of the damned. Um, it was, yeah, it was, we finally got to dock in Cambodia and the president of or premier of Cambodia came out to the ship and somebody goes, I wonder why the premier of Cambodia is out here. I guess he's probably here to take a check. Uh, so let us <laughs> in, uh, but the, yeah. So if you have a cause, you have a book, mm -hmm. you know, some reason to, um, you know, to promote. Oh, I was gonna say, and when I, I, when we're coaching, when I'm coaching the TEDx, I'm also a lot of them want to be speakers or there already are speakers. They want to move up a few notches, you know, in terms of fees. And so I recommend a do a podcast and make sure that your, the name of your podcast is the name of your book is your URL, your domain name is the name of your TEDx because you, that way you begin to brand yourself as that person. So if they right. can't remember your name. They can remember like, like the young woman who got the, the TEDx on the first try. Her name is Olivia. She goes by live for short. And she came very close to killing herself by slicing her throat. Oh yeah, yeah. No kidding. I mean, she still remembers the bite of the cold seal on her neck and did her she books. actually cut it or nope. did she, she didn't get came, that far? Came close enough. She's staring at the block of knives in the kitchen, uh, the classic kitchen knife block. And she's trying to decide which one would be the best and had got drunk. She figured she couldn't do it sober. And she came, I mean, she came and then she started crying thought this is really a bad idea. Put it back, you know, put the knife back in the block. Um, and she wrote a book about it called live short for Olivia live to tell. And nice. so I said, Livia. Uh, that should be the title of your TEDx. And I said, the subtitle, what do you think? She goes, well, I wrote this line. Depression is just a visitor. Oh, nice. That's beautiful. That's, that's yeah. really, I mean, that, that, has, <laughs> that speaks to most meditation techniques. 
that you know every thought is just a visitor just a visitor yeah exactly every every yeah and so um so she's gonna have a podcast called live to tell so and she and she hadn't bought the domain name yet domain name here's what i get so about two-thirds of my clients when they go well what's your book's name it's called live to tell have you bought the domain (gasps) no (laughs) (laughs) well before we go any farther open another window go to godaddy or whatever i don't care which and buy it for goodness sakes but not godaddy because they stole one of my domains yeah i'm not i'm a little suspicious about checking anything in their system yeah well they yeah that's what happened it was something i think it was a band i was in and we let it drop and so they took it of course they did i mean we were paying them and as soon as it dropped they took it so we would have had to buy it back yep and that's why anyway that's a so aside the point yeah and i tell them look you do a podcast name it after your book url you know, pod, and then and then and then be a guest on, be a good guest on a couple of podcasts a week in your topic area. Mm-hmm. That's where a matchmaker yeah. comes in because if you, you can build a profile for free, and then type in, I type in mental laundry list of podcasts that want people on talking about mental health. So it's a great way to get guest spots, and again, because they're doing the heavy lifting, they're doing the editing and the posting, and they just right. send you a link. Hey, it went up, so I can share it on my social media. Mm-hmm. So that's so it's not just TEDx coaching with these folks. Generally, they really want to ramp up their speaking career. Well, at least and, in that story, I heard that I did something right because it's as you know, as soon as it dawned on me to get the "Were You Still Talking" uh, website, I I googled it and I was kind of shocked that no one had it because that seemed like such an awesome, yeah. uh, you know, obvious phrase. But I was able to use it on my own, you know use it immediately. So, and it cost me well, nothing because I already had a website. And, uh, I looked up your tedxcoach.com and mm-hmm. it was available. I'm like, Oh dear God, that's another shocker. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was really surprised, but it, it, it was. So of course mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but if I have a good idea for a domain name, I just buy it, hold on to it for a year. If I don't do anything with it, I just let it drop. Cause I, you know, if it's a good idea, it's available. I, you know, and I give I give them to my clients. I've got a client whose um, his topic is idea we're spreading is something I'd never heard of, but I know a lot of people who have this or go through this. It's called individuation. And individuation, are you familiar with the term? No, no, not heard that. Yeah, the the layman's term would probably be midlife crisis. It's you've been doing everything pretty much in your life to live up to somebody else's expectations, your parents, your spouse, whatever. You know, your mom always wanted to have a son who was a priest or a banker or whatever. And so at some point, people come to a crossroads where they go, you know, this, the title of the talk is what if who you are is not really who you are. Right. And, and so, and, and if that's the case, then how do you make that jump to the life you're supposed to be leading? Uh, and there is some collateral damage. He lost his, he did it at 40 and his wife left him. His mom never spoke to him again. Um, but the, I said to him, cause I had this idea. I was talking to a coach the other day on a podcast lifetime. She's been coaching like 20 years, life coach. And I said, you know, I'm a, actually, uh, I'm an afterlife coach. The problem is collecting money from dead people. And then the way my brain is miswired or wired, my next thought was next life coach. And I thought, you know what? People say this all the time. You know, my next life, I'm going to be a yoga instructor. 
So I call the guy that does individuation. I go, man, I got a, I got an, I got a, a, a domain name for you. Nextlifecoach.com. Because haven't you ever heard this, Anthony? My next life, I'm going to be, he goes, oh, dear God. <laughs> that's great. And he that's, took it to his branding great. guy. And the branding guy goes, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. And then can we curse on this show? Is that possible? Oh, hell no. You can't. Okay. I, I only, you can say whatever you want. Okay. I believe in, I believe in uh, use of the English language. Yeah. So because you, in, in one of your things, you said you were a clean comedian. So I guess that's yeah. just for, um, sales purposes but now you can say whatever you want yeah clean 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 comics there's a lot more money clean in it comics oh yeah. that's interesting i and i yeah we'll get to that Corporate, in a minute college uh-huh and the cruise ships yeah it's gotta be it's gotta be hr friendly family friendly corporate clean you've already um, said orgasm and masturbation that's true <laughs> gotta hand it to me um <laughs> thank you the um oh somebody came up to me on a ship on carnival they do family shows and then late night they do full-on balls to the walls comedy club shows mm -hmm. and a woman came up to me and said you know i really enjoyed your family friendly show um my son's 11 years old do you think it'd be okay to bring him to the um the late night show and i go how the fuck should i know <laughs> <laughs> uh so after i thought about after life coach and next life coach this is just the way my brain i've learned to follow my brain down the rabbit hole and I thought to myself, you know, there's a bucket list, which is the list of things people want to do before they die. Well, but what about the things you, you know, you're, you, you're thinking you're going to do in your next life, you know, and, and there must be a funny twist on bucket list. And within 30 seconds, my brain tossed up, fuck it list. Uh, you know, I really don't like banking. Fuck it. I'm leaving. <laughs> you need to make a list of things where you're just going to go, fuck it. No, I'm done. That could be a whole, that sounds like a book title. Great book title. Yeah. Fuck, oh, yes. That <laughs> thought occurred list. to me as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's on your fucking list? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. about that sometimes. I, that's like when, if you do find out you've only got six months to live kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, well and, and I, for years I've, you know, winners never lose. Winners never quit and quitters never lose. You know, that's not the truth. A couple things. Abe Lincoln had 11 elections, you know, before he won his 12th and became president. Yeah, and if he stopped at 11, he wouldn't got shot in the fucking head. Um, <laughs> Columbus was looking for East Indies or the West Indies, West Indies, West Indies. I guess. Anyway, he's looking for the Indies. He, he sailed. <laughs> he ran into Cuba, called it America, and he got a national holiday. I mean, he quit right there. You know, it's quitters don't always, you know. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that would be the, you know, like the fuck it list. Well, this is not the Indies, but fuck it. Uh, <laughs> it's good enough. Good you know? enough. Anyway, the, um, so yeah, that's another thing I do for my clients is help them with that branding and the, and the taglines and the, and I did the same thing, by the way, in Springfield and Eugene, I used to belong to both chambers. Mm -hmm. I was famous for, you know, because a lot of people come in when they've just established a business. And when you do a chamber function, Eugene or Springfield, wherever, uh, these events, and I was in the greeters, which is they meet early in the morning. It's a, it's a um, slice of the both the chambers committee and got a new business come in and you get to stand up and say your name, your tagline name and the name of your business and your tagline. That's all you get to say. So the tagline's got to be, you know, good.
So I got, I got to the point where, and the, and the guy would go, um, yeah, nice to be here for my first time. I, um, you know, I, I don't have a tagline. Okay, Frank. So, and, and thanks sit down. <laughs> yeah. So Frank wanted to give him a tagline. I go, so what's he, what's his job? Well, he's in the fire suppression business, makes fire suppression systems and you know, it's a one fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I go, um, okay. A one fire. We put out, um, guy never came back. <laughs> um, there's a woman who opened a nail salon. <laughs> I said, he, never okay. came back. he never came back. I said, uh, nail salon. Okay. Uh, Springfield's best hand job. Uh, and, and there's a woman who grows lavender who's 73 years old and she didn't have a tagline. And I said, uh, okay, lavender, Oregon's second most popular cash crop. And to hear her at 73 deliver that was just hysterical because everybody knows the first, you know, weed is the number yeah, one. Yeah, forever. Not, that's not recent either. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, a young woman uh, represents Legal Shield. She's my Legal Shield representative. And, um, I said, uh, hey, Jul- Julianne, Legal Shield, we get you off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got to tell you, they, they, they have said that they miss me because I, there's a guy named Todd who owns Todd's Auto Body. Mm-hmm. And somewhere, I, I joined the chamber because we came here 10 years ago after we filed bankruptcy and moved back into my wife's ancestral home out the river. And I went to the chamber, the, greeting, the greeters meetings, just to meet people, just for social. And so about seven years in, Todd of Todd's Auto Body said to me, because we were in both chambers together, he goes, man, has anybody here ever bought anything from you? Like any of your speaking? And I go, no. He goes, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> You're right. And I quit both of them. But, <laughs> but they were sorry to see Thanks me go. Todd's I'm telling you. I bet they were. Because, you know, I it bet. was my best line ever. I had just flown back from somewhere in the Far East. I just worked a cruise ship. And I flown back on United. And it was right after United had dragged that Vietnamese doctor off the sh- off the plane. Remember that? Uh, Vaguely, they, it's, yeah. They needed to see. That or was, something. Wasn't that about three years ago now? Oh yeah, at least three years ago. Yeah, the Vietnamese doctor. They apparently needed the seat, and he wouldn't give it up. And they dragged him off the plane, and it, somebody videoed it, and he sued. And, um. Anyway, so I, I was exhausted, and that's dangerous for me because my editor goes to sleep. So. Hmm. It gets to be my turn. And I said, look, I'm just, I'm, I apologize this morning. I'm just exhausted. I just flew back from Tokyo. Um, I, I flew on United, not my favorite airlines, but I will tell you this. <laughs> I did enjoy the flight. They now have Vietnamese takeout and <laughs> killed. Oh my God. Exploded. Oh, uh, yeah. I was, yeah. Oh, uh, I guess I <laughs> have to put a warning up for this podcast. Yeah. No. No, 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 not a chance. Um, so what this, this is an interesting, this bring, this reminds me of something I wanted to ask you. So you were, you, before this happened, you were flying all over the world. You were going on cruises. Um, how do you feel about that now? I mean, one, do you think the cruise industry will come back at all? Um, cause yeah, it's looking pretty sketch and is, who feels safe flying yet? Well, the airlines seem to think you, they really want you to say yeah, that you're safe. I get an email from Southwest almost every day, $49 sale. I'm, I bet it is. <laughs> um, 
Well, somebody called me and asked me um, if the event was live in December, would you go? And I go, look, I'm suicidal. Give me a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean, if sure. anybody's going to get on a plane, it's going to be me. Um, no, I, I'm, I think the cruise industry, because COVID has reared its ugly head like a third spike, and because so many people are, you know, I mean, it's just gotten out of, con- I mean, way out of control. Yeah. Um, they were thinking February 1st, I think, was going to be the, when they began sailing again with all kinds of, you know, taking temperatures and, you know, and I, I, I'd be I'd be real surprised if they start sailing in February. Um, and I'm not sure I was going to go ahead and ramp down my cruise career because it doesn't pay as well as the keynotes, you know, when oh, you go okay. and fly in and mm-hmm. have the rubber, eat the rubber chicken and do 45 minutes. Wow. I mean, it's great to travel. It's great. Very relaxing. I get a lot of work done. but in, it pays about a third what a good corporate gig does in one mm-hmm. night. So I was going to wind it down. I didn't really want to go out in, in spectacular fashion the way I did, but I was going to wind it down. But my wife asked me this morning, well, if, if by some stretch you got another cruise gig, would you go? And I, I, you know, it's just a giant Petri dish. It's right. And, and the cruise lines, the, they got to the point where the, uh, what is it called norovirus used to be that when they came into port at eight in the morning they would spend four hours guys in hazmat suits with big tanks of of water and clorox and sprayed every surface in the ship and they stopped doing that because they want to turn the ship around faster so they do a you know like a licking you know was it a licking a spit whatever that expression is uh-huh um, and bring pastures on. So what happened was the norovirus is very, um, it can live on a surface for a day or so. Uh-huh. And so, you know, if it didn't clean that surface, then, and you sail out and somebody grabs a railing and picks up the norovirus. And then now you've just paid this much money for a cruise. And if you tell the doctor on the ship that you were throwing up and have diarrhea, you're not coming out of your cabin for at least three days and you're going to miss ports. So people don't say anything. Oh no. And so it just spreads like wildfire through the ship. Oh my gosh. So that's why that happened. Cause I've heard a lot about that happening. It's, it's one of the things that has made me hesitant to ever take a cruise. I mean, the only cruise I ever wanted to take was maybe go to Alaska and see some whales for a couple of days. But yeah, uh, even though I'm getting towards the right age, I I'm just not ready to take a cruise. Well, and when time comes, I, I'll, people always ask, what cruise should I take? I say, go to Alaska first because it's, mm-hmm. it's port heavy. You know, you do seven days, you probably stop in four ports. So you're not stuck on the ship, you know, at length. And there's whales and eagles and there's, you know, lots of activities off the ship. You can take a beaver boat ride up to a salmon camp. You can take a helicopter ride to a glacier. You can take a bike ride. You know, there's lots of outdoor activities. So it's a great and they're very inexpensive when we're in this corner of the world. My advice right, is right. Um, take the train up the day before you're going to board because, you know, the Amtrak. <laughs> One of my favorite yeah. jokes from Dennis Miller was an Amtrak train leaves Chicago at eight in the morning. Do I have to finish that for you? <laughs> 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 but uh, the um, I take the train up and then take a cab or take an Uber to the port. That way you never have to set foot on a plane. You know, it's spend the night in Seattle. And, uh, and then, then catch the ship the next morning. But yeah, I, I'm not sure I would, I'd have to think long and hard before I got back on a, on a cruise ship. 
Because I just saw I saw a report, which um, I'm going to probably report this terribly, but they had restarted cruises somewhere. They had just decided to restart them, and immediately one of the boats had a um, someone yeah. test positive for coronavirus. And I, I saw like, that. What? A smaller what? ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. And the and they came down with uh, the uh, with the COVID. Yeah. The um, yeah. I'm just you know it's. Although I spend most of my time in my cabin, I what's called a cabin rat, and, and, and because nobody knows who you are until you perform, so you don't really have to chat with anybody. When I came back to Seattle, a day by the way that the the Seattle um, CDC will never forget, um, because they got they got hammered for letting me through. But oh the, no! The, yeah, there was a oh CDC. because it made the big national news. Yeah, well, there's a CDC guy from the U.S. in Cambodia. What they don't tell you is um, three or 400 people left Cambodia before the CDC came in and gave the COVID tests. They left on their own. They self-deported. And so Holland had no idea where they were. And they went to the four corners of the globe. I stayed long enough to get the test. And I met a guy from the CDC from the U.S. And I go, man, is there any reason I can't leave and go home? He goes, well, were you in China? No. Have you had any symptoms? No. He goes, go. I mean, trust me. He said the Cambodian government would much rather have you, lit, you know, someplace else than here. Somebody else's problem. So a couple of people got turned back at the airport because they bought really deeply discounted tickets. I bought a $1,600 Emirates flight into Seattle. And I picked Seattle because that's, they have a CDC office right in the airport. And, and yeah. I'm walking through the, you know, the terminal where they, um, customs immigration terminal. And a guy steps into my path in a green uniform. He goes, Frank, we've been waiting to see you. <laughs> they knew I was coming. Wow. Uh -huh. And so I go in the CDC office. They ask me questions, health questions. And they said, here's the deal, Frank. You know, the, the, the supposedly a woman on your ship came down with it when she got to Kuala Lumpur. We don't think she did, but let's just say she did. Unless you spent 15 minutes within six feet of her, you're not going to get it. I said, so let me get this straight. If I didn't bang the old bag, I'm good. <laughs> and they're on the floor. It's not the kind of thing you hear. You know? <laughs> <laughs> not what they're used to hearing, I'm sure. <laughs> and then I went back up there to get my paperwork because people want to know if they're going to hire me that the CDC had cleared me. So I go right. back up there and knock on. It's hard to find their office, by the way. It took me half an hour and several sets of directions to find. They hide it. I tap on the door. I said to the woman, um, I'm, and she goes, I know you are. <laughs> Everybody in this office, you have no idea the shitstorm. Oh, no. Created for us. Because oh. the media came out, yeah, oh man, and turns oh, man. out if you if you're not if you don't test positive, if you don't have the virus, they don't keep any paperwork. There's no reason to have any paperwork. There's nothing to put on the. There's nothing so, to put the. Oh, that makes no, sense. No, I had to. I had to have Lane County, because once the CDC clears you, they tell Lane County you're coming. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I call Lane County. They go, Yeah, we knew you were coming. How are you feeling? You know, we would prefer. You know, even though there's hardly any chance you've got it, just you know. Limit your activities for a couple of weeks, which I said, fine. And I had to ask them, can you send me some paperwork that says, you know, that I've been cleared? So two weeks in, they sent me a, a, you know, a document that says he's self-quarantined for two weeks. He's fine. 
because speakers bureaus wanted it to give the their client because everybody in the world knew who I was. So, oh, um, so every they wanted everyone to feel comfortable that you'd been near so they could say, yeah, Don't worry. yeah, okay. okay. Well, and the long and the short of it is, however, the, the on March 13th or 12th, when we began to close down, that was the end of most you know, live events. I did one on the 13th. I was surprised they still had it. It was a convention mm -hmm. in Chicago, <clears throat> but I did it. And that was the last one I'd done live. And that's, so by then it didn't really matter, you know, because <laughs> nobody, nobody's going to be doing anything live anyway. So the thing that kind of surprised me about that whole story is that they knew uh, <clears throat> way back in um, when you came back, that it was that you had to be in con near the person for 15 minutes. Yeah. To really to it because it seemed like i mean from watching all the media and even even the the doc the um english expert i watch john campbell uh who kind of takes all the information in the world and disseminates it in a way that people can understand um it seemed like it took him a while to know that you know that yeah. to, to really understand that but um from what you're saying they really knew they've known it for a long time which yeah the cdc is knew kind of interesting <clears throat> and also the test i had in cambodia was from the World Health Organization. And the, the Pasteur Institute was there and they gave the test. And it was it was not that many days past when Donald Trump, because the World Health Organization offered the US tests and he turned them down. Yeah, I remember and, that. That yeah, I remember so, clearly. Yeah, so because I don't think he wanted everybody to know that it was serious as it actually was. But I took the I took the test there in Cambodia. Unlike the uh, three or four hundred pastors who just left, I took the test in case that you know because the CDC would have tracked me down and said, "By the way, listen, where are you?" Well, then stay right. there. Right. So right. they could track me, obviously, because they knew I was coming to Seattle. Uh, I did everything by the book, and still got just hammered. Um, and the New York Times did an article on people who came back from that area of the world. Uh, basically ground zero of the pandemic who tested, who never tested positive, but were stigmatized nonetheless. And like I was like the poster child. And you, oh man. Yeah. Well, you know, next door, that, that, that website next door, mm -hmm. when my neighbors oh, yeah. found out I was coming back, they, they sent my wife all these messages. Look, just make him stay in the house. We'll bring meals over and put him on the front porch. Just don't let him leave. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was ugly. It was, uh, a guy, guy called me, said, I'm going to, I know where you work out, Pursuit Fitness. I know when you work out, I'm coming to kill you. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I said, well, hey, first of all, I've been trying to do that to myself for 40 years. And second, look, I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of dying. So just mm -hmm. know that when you're doing your calculations, that when you see me, I got nothing to lose. <laughs> Are you sure you want to take that on? So <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, uh, that is... That is just the most bizarre things that people send death threats to other people from being for being on the news. Basically, it, it's, yeah, and it, it's hard for me outrage. to wrap my head around it. it it's yeah, it, it could be for anything. And <laughs> I mean, because you were in an area that had COVID once, that you got a death, you got death threats. Yeah, because uh, I violated some somebody's sense of moral justice. Well, mm -hmm. and the guy in, in Georgia, the Republican, and heads up the you know, counting the votes because he refuses to say that there are, there, there were fraudulent votes or whatever, which is apparently the truth. There were no fraudulent, there was no fraud or, you know, whatever. 
he and his wife and his daughter have gotten death threats. Well, this is a little more understandable because they're those people are in a ridiculous kind of friend, frothing frenzy that that is created by this mass, this massive media that we've never dealt with as humans before. So that I mean, that, that kind of makes a little more sense. Um, the fact that he comes out, you know, really kind of burying his rage to say, no, there's no fraud here. You know, this is America. This is Georgia. This is America. There's no fraud in the vote. No. It just, it's, and people still, it doesn't matter because the story no, is out there on you, you know, because people with YouTube channels says that there is. <laughs> yeah, and, not to mention the, 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 what used to be the leader of the free world. But, you know, it, a lot of that is because it's pushed so hard by people like myself who have no knowledge of, of anything really, but <laughs> they, yeah. Were, but I you will tell you, you don't there need are aliens in Eugene. I swear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the oh um, uh, was it? And the Democrats are um, uh, blood sucking, child. Uh, oh uh, yeah, eating um, pedophiles. Me. Oh my God, I can't yeah. believe they figured that out. That's why we don't have. Ki- oh wait, we do have kids. We have more kids, don't we? Yeah. Oh, oh it's shoot. it's like Art Bell <laughs> is running. You know, uh, and the lizard that- people. I, I've seen many articles recently. I can't even read them because I get so pissed off. So I've, I, I need to meditate more. But I've seen many people trying, uh, writers trying to explain basically how this came about and why this is so easy now. And it, it makes sense. It's not new. It's been going no. on for a while. I mean, the Tea Party were the beginning of it. But it's, yep. you know, it's been building since YouTube's been getting so big, since Google's been getting so big. And so it's really interesting how people, even even really intelligent people, are just kind of primed to yeah. believe this stuff. It's, it's like believing in UFOs. I kind of understand that. I want to believe in UFOs. But blood-sucking well, vampires who... Pedophiles? Who still, pedophiles? Yeah. Oh, um, the, by the way, the the um tea party movement (laughs) astroturf movement um was actually the 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 forerunner of that was the john birch society when kennedy got elected and some of the people who financed the john birch society financed the tea party movement so it's it's continued through history you know, if you get a Democratic president, they, these groups arise to take issue with whatever it is. You know, they're communists, they're atheists, they're whatever. So it's what worries me. And I, I felt like posting this on Facebook is, look, I understand why, you know, 60 some odd million people voted for Donald Trump the first time. I mean, intellectually, you know, he's supposedly a great businessman, supposedly a great deal maker. Yeah. Supposedly a decent human being, you know, going to drain the swamp. I mean, I can see all that. You know, they bought in. He's a pitch man. They bought his pitch. What I, what I, I, the 71 million people knowing exactly who he is and what he's all about voted for him again. What worries me is, well, we need to reach across the aisle and be bipartisan. And I, it's not, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't. I don't think it's possible right now. No. I don't know if it'll be possible in four years. I don't know if it'd be possible in eight years. I mean, the the thing, the only thing that slightly, um, slightly uh, 
uh, light at the end of the tunnel is that we've we take a long time to change. So this will, you know, this will change. Yeah. But right now, it's absolutely nuts. And if you ever seen um, the uh, Social Dilemma on Netflix, did you see that? I've got that on my list. Yeah. Okay. That explain that literally will explain why so many people voted for him. Because yeah. we're now being programmed by artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is really powerful. It's probably an accident that the programming turned to what it's doing now. It's not necessarily, it was no one's plan, but because of how artificial intelligence works, if you believe that uh, Democrats are responsible for hangnails, then it's not a very far leap somehow with enough push from social media posts uh, for you to go to that they're vampires and pedophiles. And, well, you know, and, it's, it's crazy. And because the, the news feed that you see is not the news feed that I see. Even a husband and wife on Facebook have the same friends and interests see different feeds. So, yeah, if you believe if you, you know, you click on an article about Democrats responsible for hangnails, then the algorithm rec recognizes that. So it begins to feed you you know, uh, right. similar stories. And yeah, I just, I don't, I think bipartisanship, I think that was Obama's big, uh, that was Obama's Achilles heel. He thought the Republicans wanted a grand bargain. And I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we can hug our way out of this one. I don't think the Republicans care about a grand bargain. The, you know, they, they, the only time they ever scream bipartisan is when they're in the minority. <laughs> the, the, right. oh, let's be bipartisan. And they do, and they don't even scream it. They whisper it. Yeah. They so, whisper it when they're in the minority. Yeah. I, I mean, and, this is why I don't talk politics on my show, although you're welcome to. You can talk about anything you want. Oh, but, uh, but, <laughs> but it's, I get so aggravated because I'm not a politician and can't imagine being one. Like, I can't imagine what that work would actually be like, especially at the federal level. You know, I, I understand what it's like at the local level. I mean, you've seen local politics. It's it can be pretty nuts in Eugene Springfield. Just, just you think? Get, yeah, you know. So at the federal level, I don't know how those how people uh, do it, but there is definitely it's definitely swung away from working with each other. And you know, I I have a real hard time believing that a lot of these people care one uh, thing about the country. You know, no, that uh, uh, not last. Why does Mitch Mc, why why Mitch McConnell and, and and none of the other high-ranking Republicans have come out and said, "Well, we all know that Joe Biden's president like he won the election." Well, I'll tell you why not. They're not scared of Trump. They're scared of that seventy-one million voters right. who are but, crazy about Trump. They don't want to offend because they're going to need him in Georgia for those two Senate races, January fifth. And they're going to need to get reelected in their states. Chances are, whenever the next election is, so they're. They're terrified of that. And I think yeah. Trump's going to either yeah. um, go into business with Newsmax or OAN, one of those, you know, one of those networks that make makes Fox look like MSNBC. Uh, I think or maybe just Trump TV. Because, I, I think mean, he's going to get yanked, but we will we will see. Oh, I think I he's going think to he's gonna get yanked. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to I hope he's going to jail. But I mean, as far as media, media already shut him down. You know, just since uh, Tuesday, just since Super Tuesday, the media has yeah, uh, even Twitter, Fox, Fox, every net, every major network said these. Okay, he's telling lies now. You know, they didn't want to say this 
before the vote was counted. They, no. they, it's been happening for months, but they didn't want to say it. But as soon as Tuesday rolled around, it's like, well, yeah, actually, no, we're going to cut this off. This is a lie. Yeah. We're not even going to tell you this. And, uh, you know, even part of the thing I see is that even people I know who vote, they don't really look at things very closely. Like no. I watch too much news now at some, actually it was nine 11 when nine 11 happened. I started watching network news really for the first time in my life. I've kind of been doing it ever since, but there's a lot of people that don't, that don't consume any news. No. So they're literally voting by their, by television ads. Right. Or they, they consume Fox and rush and Hannity and you know is, I mean? it, good point, which is also not actually news. And yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in court, when they were defending Tucker Carlson, the Fox attorney said, Tucker's not a news person. Right. He's an, he's an, he's yeah. an, an entertainer. He's a, you know, a commentator. He's not a news. We, none of these evening hosts are news. It's like Rush Limbaugh, who will probably help swing the country towards Trump. Oh, he, God. he was a sportscaster. I mean, he, he, he has no, you know, he's not any kind of news person. Oh, he's just like I was talking about. He's just a guy with a big microphone. Yeah. He can put out any fact that he wants, anything he wants, and say it's fact. It doesn't matter, you know, and people, because he's got a really good radio voice and he's got a really good way of presenting himself uh, for a certain population, they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, that's and true. it's got to be true. Right. And because Democrats, a big tent, um, the Democratic bloc is not monolithic. Uh, on the other side of the aisle, the that block of Republican voters is relatively monolithic. And and also there are 600, 800 conservative radio stations and maybe a handful of liberal radio stations. Liberal radio is hard to sell because they don't have that monolithic block of listeners as they do on the on the on the other side of the aisle. Uh, wait I've, a minute. Wait a minute. What about liberal media? Everything's liberal media. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything <laughs> except Fox. Except for what you just said. Yeah, except like they convince you. The yeah, vast majority is, is conservative media. Conservative media. Yeah, everywhere I went in the world, in foreign countries, the one station that was in English always Fox News because they got the satellites. They're everywhere. Wow. Um, CNN didn't go that far. CNN International was there. But I'm talking about homegrown American Fox News was everywhere. Well, it's, it's yeah. so interesting, even when I visit my sister in Bellingham and see the Canadian news, how different that is. Oh, you know, it's it's like news was here 40 years ago. Basically, well, when the it's, entertainment department took control of the news and news had to get ratings, I believe that was the beginning of the end. And then when Reagan did the um, thing with radio station, and television stations, the Communications Act of whatever year it was where he said you could own more than one FM, more than one AM, more than one TV station, more than one newspaper in a town. That was the beginning of the end of local radio because aggregators came in, clear channel and the like, and just bought up stations and put minimum wage people behind the mic. They didn't care you know, about you know, personality or whatever. It's also why KEZL, I think it is, uh, the station that I listened to in high school, it's literally why... They play the same music that I listened to in high school. <laughs> it's, like, 
it's the classic station now. Oh, the classic station. You know, it's like classic rock. It's like, hey, but that was just a radio station when I was growing up. But that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah that's now, you are correct. <laughs> it's not, anyway, I, I, yeah. my only consolation is I'm 64 this month. I, I think, the, I think we we're beginning to see the end of the republic because of this divide, 70 million, 70 million. Um, I, I'm not going to live to see it go down in flames, probably. But uh, yeah, and that's uh, unfortunate because it might be fun to see. Uh, but you don't. <laughs> you don't I'm, I'm surprised you're 64. You don't look it. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. A lot of other questions I had, but now they're escaping me. Oh, I did want to ask. Okay, this is something I have to ask because okay. this is important. Now, right. you, you wrote for Jay Leno on The Tonight Show, correct? Yeah, 20 years. 20 years. So did you get to go uh, check out his cars? No. I, I saw a couple of them when, we, when I bumped into him in Los Angeles. But uh-huh. um, what happened was he was, the, he was the permanent guest host for Johnny Carson. And Johnny was very mercurial. mercurial and he would, he would pull up on a Friday night and go, I'm taking next week off. Oh, wow. And Mondays was always best of Carson rerun, which meant Leno had four nights, four monologues, 18 jokes a monologue to write. So he started hiring comics on the road as contractors. You signed the contractor oh. paperwork. They gave you a fax number back in the day. And I'd fax in a dozen, two dozen topical jokes a day. And they usually got one or two on, you know, in the monologue each week. And then when he took over the show for real, they cut most of the contract players loose. But they kept me on. I kept the fax number. And I kept pumping in the jokes and still getting one or two. I actually had two jokes on his very first show in the very first monologue. Because I knew comics were lazy and I knew they would, there's two weeks between Johnny and Jay. They ran Johnny Carson reruns too. I knew comics, they weren't going to write during that two weeks. And I thought, man, I'm going to pump in like nobody's, so I pumped in jokes. And I had two jokes in the first monologue. One was some guy down in Texas got stung to death by bees. And I said, yeah, you know, it turns out they weren't killer bees. They were just ordinary honeybees upset over the Rodney King verdict. <laughs> <laughs> which at the time was very topical. Uh-huh. And then the second one was uh, Dan Quayle. There used to be a show called Murphy Brown. Candace Bergen was Murphy Brown. She ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock and had a child on the sh- you know, on the sh- part of the show. Mm-hmm. And so somebody asked Dan Quayle about that. What do you think about that? And Dan goes, um, I think it, uh, let's see, I think uh, Murphy Brown getting wed, uh, having a child out of wedlock um, diminishes the role of fathers. Uh, where would I have been without my dad? And the punchline I added was, my guess, Vietnam. <laughs> yep. Killed. I, pro- I probably watched that joke. Yeah. I probably saw it on air. That yeah. Was- so that was so that. And yeah. So yeah. I did. Yeah. It was about 20 years between writing for him as permanent guest host and writing for him as the actual host. Okay. Nice so, guy. But that's a great gig. You're traveling around doing your comedy gig and you're making, do they pay you per joke? Like yep. whatever, whatever It's all on spec. Uh, back in the day when he was guest host, we got 50 bucks a joke. Mm-hmm. When he became the for real host, then we got $75 a joke, which wow. I didn't really care. The dream was, Joel, was every now and then he would pluck somebody from the, the contractor's list to come in-house, join the Writers Guild, and be on staff. That was the dream. And a couple of guys made it. I never got that far, but that was the dream. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Leno knew, exact, knew who I was. Because when, when the show... Tonight's show cut him loose because <clears throat> I don't think he would ever quit. <clears throat> when they cut him loose, 
I called him, asked, would you do a little, you know, video demo for my corporate work? I know, you know, I can't see, I'm going to CNBC and they don't really like me there. He said, but I'll tell you what I will do. Um, if you ever get another shot, like at a morning show, because I did some morning radio, uh -huh. morning show, and it's down to you and one other guy, call Helga, his assistant, give her the name of the guy, the pro program director and the phone number, and I'll, I'll call him and see if I can't strong arm him into hiring you. <laughs> So I've been sitting on wow. that favor for, well, ever since he left the Tonight Show. I'm still uh -huh. waiting to use that somewhere. Because that's nice. just some, the kind of guy he is. When I had my first open heart surgery, my first valve job, the first person on my answering machine when I got out of ICU and into a regular room and called my answering machine was Leno. One of the other writers had called him and said, look, Jay, Frank's in the hospital having a valve job. So when I picked up my phone, it was a message. Hey, it's Jay Leno. Heard you had your heart worked on. It's a good thing you didn't have it done in L.A. They'd take it out and leave it out. Take a couple of weeks off. So <laughs> Nice. Well, that's nice. Yeah, really You're nice guy. He loved you. doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And how... A um, couple questions. You said you got, you got to a point at one where you tasted your own gun. Yep. And was that, did that happen more than once? And what kept you uh, from pulling the trigger? Yeah. Pull the trigger. Yeah. Well, first of all, when I do tell the story, I go, you know, I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. And I look at the audience and go, spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. Uh, <laughs> and, and a friend of mine, and you get a nervous laugh, like, should we be laughing at this? Right. And a friend of mine who'd never seen me live and or heard me say that came up afterwards. He goes, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I go, hey, man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed? Um, the reason I didn't was I had a life insurance policy for a million dollars. The problem was there's a two-year suicide clause. If you kill yourself in anything less than 24 months, it pays nothing. They give you premiums back. If you wait 24 months in a day, they pay the million bucks. And it turned out I had the policy for 22 months when I was going to pull the trigger. So I had to wait two months before I could pull it because I was, I was not going to leave my wife brokenhearted and broke. So because I have chronic suicidal ideation, because I'm willing to pull the trigger anytime, I thought, well, I can wait two months then I can kill myself. By the time the two months had gone by, our bankruptcy had gone through, the phone calls had stopped, life had gotten just a little better just enough to get over the hump and obviously i didn't and i haven't ever gotten that close again i i actually own two handguns and i'm not i'm not concerned that you know and because of what i do for a living speaking on suicide prevention saves lives mm -hmm. i imagine then i would that's, hope i would yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> you would think um that's why i don't kill myself because i figured if i kill myself it's kind of like being george bailey and it's a wonderful life I've seen what these people's lives would be like, you know, the people that I've helped. If I weren't there to say, look, you're not alone. You're not the only one with this, you know, with time and time and, and, and medication therapy, things will get better. If I weren't there, then if I kill myself, I take all of them with me. Right. You know, oh, so yeah. I, yeah. I can't, well, that's I can't good. kill myself. That's great. How did you, <laughs> I mean, that's a good reason. That's a good, good thought yeah. to have that, that, um, who, is there someone that helped you that helped you get to that point? Uh, I mean, did you decide to start doing the suicide prevention or, or did someone approach no. you and say, Hey, you'd be good for this. After I came so close to killing myself and look, I look back at my family history, it's called generational depression and suicide runs in families. 
Oh, wow. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. Ooh. I screamed four days. Yeah, if you want to know the story, I'll spare your listeners. Well, I could, if you, I'll tell you, but if, trigger alert, it's going to be rather graphic. It may elicit strong emotions, but if you'd like me to tell you the story, I will. Sure. Okay. Sure. It, yes. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt, my mother couldn't reach her on the phone. She went over to the house. My grandmother had written the checks for the bills, addressed the envelope, stamped them, pinned her will to her house coat so my mother could find it, blew out the pilot light on the old gas stove, and then sat down and wrote a suicide note, which I have, by the way, um, and, and, and used a great effect in my first TEDx talk. Because one of the things they say should be in every TED talk is a kind of an aha moment or surprise the audience, take their breath away. So I put the suicide note up on the screen in this dark theater and they think I'm going to read it or they're going to read it. And I hired, didn't hire, I asked a friend of mine who's a voiceover actress in LA to read it, to voice it. So up goes the will, I'm sorry, the suicide note. And you think either I'm going to read it or they're going to read it. And you hear this woman's voice out of the darkness. My dear children, I'm so sorry to leave you. So my grandmother speaks wow. from the grave. You could hear people go. <gasps> so. When my mom couldn't reach my great aunt several years later, she got worried, bundled me into the car at four years old. We drove over to her apartment, let ourselves in. Nothing out of place except in the kitchen. On the counter was everything that should have been in the refrigerator. Butter, milk, eggs, cheese. The old lock-type refrigerator, the kind if you crawl into, you can't get out of. And my mother didn't realize what had happened. My great aunt had taken everything out of the fridge gotten in, pulled the door shut behind her to, to die by suicide. Uh-huh. And then tried to panicked and tried to claw her way out. <gasps> oh no. So I'm holding on to my mother's skirt tails. My mother opens the refrigerator door. My great aunt, who's leaning against the door at this point, broken fingernails, bloody, whatever, dead, of course. When she my mom opens the door, my great aunt falls out and pins me to the floor. So we are face to face, her face in that last, you know, horrified grimace before she died. So <laughs> I apparently screamed for days and days and days and days and days. I have no, I didn't have any memory of it until a cousin of mine who's 10 years older. I had been told all the family had been told a myth. If Frank ever asked about this, here's what you tell him. When, when his mom opened the door, his great aunt was sitting in there with her hands folded in prayer, looking very serene. I told my cousin that story. who was 10 years older. So he had been 14 at the time. Uh -huh. He goes, folded in prayer my ass. The old bat fell out on you and pinned you to the floor. <laughs> oh, no. At which point, whatever was holding it back in my brain just disappeared. And I uh -huh. could see it all again. So it was at that point. And having come so close to dying and looking at my family history, I thought, you know what? I could speak on suicide prevention. So I got some training in suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And that became my keynote. Suicide prevention is a workplace health and safety issue and college health and safety issue. That's how I got started speaking. And then I used the first TED Talk to rebrand from funny speaker to speaker who's funny because everybody just thought of me as a comic. So I had to do something to let them know. And I didn't come out, by the way, as depressed and suicidal until that TED Talk. Nobody knew my wife, my family, my friends. When my wife's getting ready to play the TEDx on YouTube for the first time, I said, look, before you hit the button, I need to tell you about a half a dozen things you're going to hear about on there. You have no idea about. 
She had oh, no wow. idea how close I'd come. Uh-huh. Uh, so I said, I don't, you, I don't want you to hear it for the first time on YouTube. Let me tell you what you're going to hear. So, and then I've done, well, three more that made YouTube and the fifth one that hasn't yet. So. Till you yeah, do it again. Yeah. Till I do it till, again. Till you I do can't, it again. I can't wait. Cause like I said, it's the only one wow. I've ever gotten standing ovation for. Uh-huh. It was amazing. <laughs> That's terrible. Yep. And broke my, broke my heart. I bet. Oh yeah, it was. I rocked. I mean, I it was just, you know, yeah. Anyway, I'll do it again. And somebody else will really like the idea and book me to do it. And are you able to do anything now? Um, I'm averaging about two virtual keynotes a month. Oh, great! Some are rescheduled from live. Uh, The one tomorrow Mm -hmm. was actually a woman went online. She's a little town in New Jersey. And they've got a, had a rash of suicides over the last couple of years. And they figured, we got to do something about this. Mostly men. I think all men, actually. Men and, and teenage boys. And so she went online looking for a suicide prevention speaker. And she said, Frank, I watched, I can't tell you how many videos of these guys. And she goes, it drove me to drink. <laughs> so awful. Oh, no. Yeah. She goes, then oh, I come no. across, oh, wait, there's a comedian <laughs> who it- has mental illness? Uh-huh. Who speaks on this? So I got I got booked, and that's the dream: is that with my clients, you want to stop becoming, you want to stop being a commodity. We want a suicide prevention speaker. You want to be? No, we want the mental health comedian. That's who we want. So that's oh, yeah. my goal for all my speakers: is to quit becoming a commodity, uh-huh. and then you know where they actually come looking specifically for you. Oh so, right. Right. That, that that totally makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it's happened a few times. Uh, I also market to four or five occupations that have high rates of suicide. Uh, dentists, veterinarians, physicians, construction, project managers. Mm-hmm. And one of the, I, 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 um, an osteopath is in my list. And so there's a woman, the last gig I did, woman said, I said, how'd you find me? She goes, well, Frank, it's odd because I typed in Suicide prevention speaker, osteopath, and you came right up. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, wow. if you if you uh, on your computer, wow. if you open another window and go to dental, I'm sorry, suicide prevention speakers, plural, suicide prevention speakers, dental, suicide prevention speakers, dental. Yeah, you should find page one should have three or four or five listings for me on suicide prevention speakers, dental. And that's one of my target markets. And I try to get my clients to, you know, pick a lane and pick your ideal clients, find to figure out who they are and just market to them, not to everybody, but just this narrow band of ideal clients should be two, three, four, five listings. There's a bunch of listings. Yep. There you are. It's all, all goes to your website. Yeah. Well, this one goes to top speakers awareness. AAE speakers, but yeah, I think the yep. very first one goes to you. Yeah. So that's what, right I, that's there. how when I work with my speaker. That's where I want them to be is when they type in their keywords that they come up on. Cause there's an old, there's an old joke. Have you heard this? Where's the, if you want to get away from it all and, and, and hide from the world, where would you go? Do you know? Um, Alaska page to Google. Nobody ever goes there. No, they, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's right. That's correct. Yep, I find I I 
occasionally think when it's obscure thing i oh maybe i should try the next page but it, it never works either no There's i go a couple there. deep occasionally but rarely yeah. nothing there nothing there nothing no. at all in my you know I, I bet you google could do that i bet you google could put up google could put up blank pages behind you know every search like two three four five <laughs> But and you're right. No one would, would ever get there. Yeah, I would just wait and see who yeah. who called to complain or who sent a note to Google. Hey, why is it four pages are blank? That's not a bad idea. I bet they could. That's yep. hilarious. I, there's a speaker who used to do that with. Um, he had a six pack of cassette tapes, motivational speaker, and he he made the sixth one completely blank. He put a label on it, but it's completely blank, and he sold thousands of these six cassette packages and one person one called and said, hey man how come tape six is blank oh no and he gave his money back he goes man you're the only person ever called i gave you money back <laughs> well a friend of mine i shouldn't say this but we're deep enough in the podcast now no one will steal the idea a friend of mine had the idea of uh putting up one of those relaxation apps with the sound of the full moon <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Isn't it? I people say, would yeah, buy it. We gotta add Mars and Venus. You know people would buy it. People would buy it. You know it. Full moon sounds. Full moon sounds. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah. That's oh. a good one. Oh, you got one of your eleven cats. Yeah, one of the eleven cats yeah. who made it out. So they all made it. They all made it. And the dogs. Good. We took the dog. I took the dogs down early to Opportunity Barks. It's a doggy daycare boarding place down in um, Pleasant Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a Monday, and we normally take one down, one dog down, the youngest, for socialization. And I arrive, and I go, "Got a surprise for you guys. Got three. You have room." <laughs> Fortunately, they had room because I was ahead of the curve in terms of you know boarding animals. Uh -huh. I knew the fire was so close that you know a lot of people were going to be trying to board animals at that point. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, was pretty nuts. Yeah. And then board eleven cats. Fortunately, State Farm paid for the boarding. That's great. Like was, that's surprising. Yeah, it was. We'll figure yeah. ten cats because I kept one with me mm -hmm. at twenty five dollars a day. So that's what uh, ten times two fifty a day for two weeks. It was a quite a chunk of change. Right, right. And hasn't uh, the reason I was wondering why you're if you're getting gigs now is hasn't the suicide rate gone up? In oh the God, last seven months by a ton? oh yes. yeah. yeah, and it, yeah. they expect um, last year there was like forty seven thousand deaths by suicide. This year they're expecting. 50, 60,000 more, what they call deaths of despair with wow. the evictions and foreclosures and, you know, people starving to death. Mm -hmm. I saw a photograph the other day of the lines to the food bank in Texas. And it was just, you know, cars for as far as I could see. Right. Oh, I saw yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the problem, Joe, is that, that it's called situational depression. It's there may be neuronormal people who are depressed because of the situation. A, they've never been depressed. They have no idea what it looks like. They just can't figure why they can't get out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. And B, they're not like me. They don't have a self-care plan. Diet, exercise, good night's sleep, medication, meditation. That, I mean, I have a keynote called social distancing and staying sane. Don't worry about your mentally ill friends. Because if you're high functioning mentally ill, you've got medication, you're in therapy, you've got a safe self-care plan, you've got people that you've lined up who know what you're dealing with and are there for you regardless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, normal people don't, I mean, that I've been doing these podcasts where I've been teaching neuronormal people how to survive, how to put a self-care plan together, how to, you know, um, they ask a guy in, who was in the space shuttle for a year, 
They go, man, that is the social distancing a year. I just survive. One word, routine. I tell people you have to have routine. Go to bed same time, get up same time. Even if you don't have to be at, at work, you know, eat your, eat your meal same time, plan your exercise and your Netflix binge watching at the same time. You have to have, you have to control things you can't control. Right, right. Otherwise, you'll just be, and take medication. If it's, if, have a telemedicine, health, mental health appointment. Mm -hmm. And if medication's indicated, it's not a life sentence. You don't have to take it the rest of your life. Just take it till the things calm down and taper off. And if you don't get the right one the first time, there's a DNA cheek swab test. They take your DNA and they try to match it with the antidepressant that will work best with your metabolism. So it, it eliminates a lot of the lab rat, go on, doesn't work, taper off, go on, doesn't work, taper off. You narrow oh, down good. the list of available, you know, ones that will really work with your DNA, with your metabolism. That is a huge advance. I didn't know about that. because Nobody. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, like many people, I've known plenty of people that have had mental illness and have tried to do medication and, yeah. and you know, and usually they just stop Yeah, because, because they're so upset about it. And that, yeah. then they get in a worse situation because they stop their medication. So that's, uh, that's really great. A couple that, hundred bucks. Yeah. Most insurances pay for it. Um, there's four or five sites on the web. You go to, if you go on the web to DNA cheek swab test, you know, depression drugs, mm -hmm. you'll get three or four companies, five companies that do exactly that. And like I said, it's, it's a couple hundred bucks or less. I will be putting that in the show notes for anyone listening. You can check the show notes for that. Or you can just go to where he said, but nobody does that when they're listening to a no. podcast. Don't do uh, it if you're driving. Put my number, phone number in the uh, show notes too. 858-405-5555. Uh, oh, okay. I put it up on the screen every time I keynote. I say, look, here's the deal. If you're suicidal, call the lifeline. Or text help to 741-741, text line. If you're just having a really shitty day, call a crazy person. Here's my cell. Because I'm less likely to be judgmental. I'm just going to listen and co-sign whatever bullshit you're going through. And and occasionally somebody will call, you know, uh -huh. maybe about them. Wow, maybe about I would think you'd get calls all every day. No. Uh, one young man called me. It sounded like a young man. He goes, man, I can't believe this is your cell phone number. I go, how cruel would that be? Put a fake number on the screen if you're having a shitty day. Call if me if you're suicidal. Yeah, exactly. Five 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 one two one yeah, two. Yeah, that would not I, be very nice. I said I can make it worse for you. Hold, please. <laughs> and then I'll make it one step worse as a comedian. And the on hold music is another one bites the dust, then another one going, another one going, another one bites the dust. Yeah, so you know that would be funny, but it probably wouldn't wouldn't be. No, yeah, <laughs> but that's the way my mind works. It just goes right to the, you know. No, I understand. I mean, I'm not a comedian, but I keep wanting to ask you, well, what did it taste like? You said oh. you tasted your own gun. Yeah, gun oil. It's like gun oil, right? Tastes like gun oil. Yeah, I, assume, I would assume. I mean, well, I just figure you're a gun owner. You must take care of it. So yes. Oh yeah, I got the brushes and the you know the rods and all that stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You take care of your gun. You're gonna take. You're gonna take care of you. Um. Yeah, because you. Yeah, that's you, not the best. If you're gonna not kill yourself, line for yourself. No, if you're gonna kill yourself, you don't want to misfire. Exactly. Although if I'd if I'd missed and just had a real wicked scar oh. right here, I could charge twenty five hundred dollars more for my keynote. But that's probably we well, could just make up. Come on. Yeah, I could do. I could have a scar put on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I missed. Uh, how do you miss that? 
Exactly. My hand. Some people do. I think Somebody they, go, like, me, yeah. they go through the cheek or something. It I happens. had a friend, uh, an acquaintance in, in Portland who shot himself in the chest and and survived. Woke up and didn't hit anybody. Wow. Yeah. And thought, God, I'm really wow. a screw up. I can't even kill myself. But the, um, yeah, the, I was going to think, let's see, phone number. Yep. Mm hmm. I was going to tell you something else, but uh, I can't. It has completely escaped my mind. But yeah, you know, if you're having a bad day, um, call a crazy person because we're, like I said, less likely to be judgment, judgy. Right. right. Yeah. And people that are normal, neuronormal, bless their hearts, they care. But either A, they're afraid to say anything because they're going to say the wrong thing, or B, they're afraid to say anything because they don't know what to say. So they just don't say anything. And that's sad because eight out of 10 people who are suicidal are ambivalent. They want somebody to say something. And nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt, which means they want somebody to notice and intervene. So that's mm -hmm. what I teach when I speak signs and symptoms of depression, thoughts of suicide, what to do and what to say and how to find resources. That's, that's the curriculum I teach basically. Well, that sounds like really good stuff to be teaching. I mean, I'm glad there's, we need more of you. I'm glad you're training more people to do that also. It's really awesome. And with humor, yeah. it's a lot easier to go down, you know. Right. <laughs> yes. I would definitely think so. Definitely yeah. think so. It's a meeting a, planner I mean, from Portland called me, well aware that I put a gun in my mouth. I was going to hire me for a keynote. And I go, what do you want me to cover? She goes, I don't know. Give me a couple of bullet points. So I just let oh, that hang in the air. Geez. And in about three seconds, she goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, relax, Michelle. I just couldn't let that go by. You, I think you should put that on your your uh, materials. You put a, put some yes. actual bullets by all your... You know, bullets. somebody suggested that. <laughs> Bullet points. Yes. Well, and I got a young man working for me. He's cutting my... One way to get social media attention is to take a video and cut it into small pieces, like under a minute mm -hmm. and post them frequently and post them all over the place. And so in one of them, the first one he did, it said, Frank has done five TEDx talks. And in before you hear that, you hear me see that you hear me saying, talking about my near suicide. And then it says, Frank has done te five TEDx talks. He'll teach you the ropes. And I called him and I said, that's probably not the metaphor you want to, you want to, <laughs> after I just said, I tried to kill myself. Oh my gosh. He'll show you how to know. That's a different Ted talk. That's someone yeah, else. That's a whole They're, different, a whole yeah, different, a whole different guy doing that. Well, I should probably wrap this up. I don't want to take your whole afternoon. Not and, a problem. Uh, I'm also, uh, have to take more, um, amoxicillin. Because I had dental surgery a few days ago. Oh. So <laughs> I need to get back on that stuff. Yeah, it's almost can't can't even tell. No, I couldn't tell. Yep. I wouldn't have I wouldn't can't have guessed. Tell. That's good. That's good. You could tell yesterday. So <laughs> that, that chipmunk. <laughs> exactly. Yep. But almost done. This has been uh it's been really awesome talking to you. I'm I really appreciate you coming on. And I I mean I really do appreciate the work you do. Oh, thank uh, you. I've always thought comedy is such a great way to approach uh, health and mental health. You know, laughing has literally been proven now to be healthy for oh, you yeah. and to raise your spirits. And supposedly even smiling in the mirror will make you feel better. Yep. I, yeah, yeah. Your body takes cues from your, you know, the physical action. Um, two things on comedy. In my first TED talk, because I wanted to include comedy, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I said, the audience, look, you know, I, I, when I got booked, I went to Ted to see Ted.com to see, and stop me if I've told you this, Ted.com mm-hmm. to see how other people handle the, handle the topic of suicide. And, you know, Ted.com has, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of talks. And there were three talks on suicide and then it hit me. Well, if you're really good at suicide, you're not going to be recording a Ted talk. That makes and, sense. and then, oh, yes. you know, my grandmother died with a gas stove. And I said to this to the audience, after I told my aunt's story, my great aunt's story, I go, my grandmother died with a gas stove. My great aunt died with a refrigerator. What is it with my family and major appliances? I, I drive past Sears. I tear up huge laugh. That's where the funny comes in. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure it works. It's helpful. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a pretty serious subject. So it's hard you, to digest without a little yeah. comic relief. And, and, yeah. you know, and people said, how can you joke about, uh, how can you joke about mental health, mental illness? And I said, here's the deal in comedy. There's a rule. You can joke about any group to which you belong. That's it. If you don't belong to those okay. groups, you shouldn't be joking about it. But I, I, I belong to all those groups. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. You belong to all of them. So why not? I thought there was no rules in comedy, but. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> well, and the other thing, what I was going to tell you that I just, I just remembered was some, I've never been officially diagnosed. I've never been to a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist. Somebody goes, well, how the hell do you know you're suicidal? I go, well, you know, the, the taste, the aftertaste of gun oil was kind of a big tip. Kind of a hint there. Yeah. So- <laughs> you really, I was, i'm glad you i'm glad you uh brought that up because i did mean to ask that question if any if you'd ever been diagnosed no i you know i i, I recognize the symptoms of major depressive i mean for a long time i didn't know what it was i didn't know it had a name i didn't mm-hmm. know chronic suicidal ideation had a name mm-hmm. i didn't know it was called major depressive disorder it you know it recurs every so often last two days to two weeks i didn't know all that but i knew you know that, that, that I was depressed and I knew I was suicidal. I just didn't know the official, you know, verbiage for it. Right. Right. Well, again, I appreciate what you do and, and having you on has been, you've been a great guest, a oh, great guest. You. Absolutely. If I had uh $3,800 and needed to do, no, thirty nine ninety five, dollars <laughs> yeah. and needed to do a TED talk, uh, I would definitely, it, it makes sense to get coaching. And especially with, uh, I mean, the idea that you'll do it till, forever basically till death yeah. i don't have any kids but you notes know. for life yeah basically notes for life which is a sh- probably shorter for me than young kids but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right the younger you are the better a deal this is yeah well and i did i did an auction one i'm also an auctioneer uh charity auction i did an auction one time i think it was newburgh oregon or somewhere it was newburgh and they had this artwork by this young artist and it was really good young woman she's in mid-20s and i said you know um the uh it's we sold it and sold it for good money but i said next year we're going to get an older artist because you have an older artist then you know they, they're going to die soon <laughs> this stuff will be worth a lot more <laughs> that's right it's oh yeah true. that's that's the benefit of having a comic as an auctioneer is that you know it's... well we should do this live sometime when we can do it live uh that would be great that, that would be great yeah because it, I'm, I'm not far from you um uh, probably 15 minutes, yep. 16 minutes or something like that. So hopefully that won't be too long, but I'm not even going to speculate. No. Things are right now. I'm, I'm um, 
yeah. hunkering down for the long run. I think it's yeah. going to be a while. Yeah, we're pretty much me and my wife are pretty much with you. We've uh, I I actually wore this outfit because I'm not going to be doing Thanksgiving, so this will be my Thanksgiving podcast. I don't usually dress in a shirt and vest for podcast. You dressed up for me. I'm I'm flattered up a little bit. All right, man. Well, it's been my pleasure. All right. Well, hold on there one second. I just wanted to say this has been, were you still talking? And on the show today has been Frank King. This, oh, now I forgot his, his line here. The oh, mental health comedian. The mental health comedian. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening. Uh, if you're having mental health problems, give him a call. The number is going to be right. Well, it'll be on the video also. I'll be throwing it in the video now. Yeah, I think it's on the actually on the burned into the bottom of my video there. That's a, it is. It's right there too. Yep. So yeah. I don't know if that comes up in the recording. I don't think that actually question. shows up. I'll see. What? But it's yeah, it's there. So you call him, email him, hire him to do some uh, some work for you. If if you need a comedian or a suicide prevention specialist, either one. Thanks again. Or both. And share this podcast because this one is important. I mean, they're all important, but this one has some good information. And as we say in the comedy club business, um, please tip your waitresses. One of them is carrying my child. (laughs) And be good to each other. And as always, be good to yourselves.